This podcast is sponsored by Position Green. To be an insider, you can subscribe to the Green Insider Podcast, powered by eRenewable, wherever you get your podcasts from. And please, leave us a five-star rating. Welcome to the Green Insider, powered by eRenewable. Each and every podcast, host Mike Niemer will bring you energy experts to help you better understand the renewable and sustainability space. Education's important to us because it's important to you, the listener. Now, here's Mike Niemer. Welcome into another episode of the Green Insider Podcast. I'm your host, Ron Culver, and with me as always is the CEO of eRenewable, Mike Niemer. On today's show, Mike is joined by CEO and founder of Zerion, John Busby. But before we dive into their conversation, let's hear from Mike's better half, eRenewable COO, Ann Niemer. Position Green helps companies build resilient, and sustainable organizations. Position Green has a unique combination of ESG software, advisory, e-learning, and assurance that drives sustainability success and empowers positive change. Visit positiongreen.com to learn more. Thanks, Ann. And now here's Mike Niemer with the CEO and founder of Zerion, John Busby. Welcome to the Green Insider Podcast, sponsored by Renewable. This is Mike Niemer. And today I have a very special guest with us. His name is Mr. John Busby from Zerion. John, welcome to the show. Thank you. Glad to be on. Well, you know, uh, first off, thank you for your service. I know you're in the Air Force, so I want to hear a little bit about that. And you tell us about your journey from uh, the Air Force to Zerion, where you are now. Why don't we kind of start with that and let you lay the groundwork to what we're going to talk about. Thanks. So uh, I, I did my uh, undergraduate degree at uh, Texas A&M and uh, actually uh, came out and joined the Air Force but after the end of the first Gulf War, uh, when uh, there weren't a whole lot of jobs for an aerospace engineer, so it seemed like a good idea to do. So uh, uh, they asked me what I wanted to do. I said I wanted to go to Wright-Patterson Air Force Base and join the research labs to do materials research. At that point, I already kind of knew what I was interested in. Uh, but they had 140% of the engineers that they needed, so they put me in finance. I did come <laughs> to Patterson. So I spent three years doing that before uh, finally went up into the research labs and started the materials research. Uh, did that uh, seven years active duty, transferred to a government civilian, and also stayed in the reserves and uh, retired from the reserves uh, when I started the company. So, uh, But during that time, I had two kind of functions. I actually... I uh, did a group called the Intelligent Processing and Materials. I was the research leader and later on the, the head of the group. Um, and, and we were doing uh, scale-up using neural networks and genetic algorithms in the mid-90s, uh, long before anybody was thinking about putting AI into that. And uh, control led to uh, tight control of materials is what nanotechnology is all about. So... Uh, uh, in the 99-2000 time frame, I actually became the first program manager of nanotechnology. Um, so I was, led the Air Force working group in that area uh, for a period of time and was very involved in uh, planning the initial uh, nano, national nanotechnology initiative uh, with, uh, uh, with the Clinton White House. And the the things that I did in there, the money that I wound up giving to small companies and startups really got me thinking a lot about entrepreneurship, you know, in the government. Uh, you, you do very interesting things. Uh, it's a very good group of people, but you don't follow it all the way through because the government doesn't make something. So uh, I think the important part about government service is the last word service. And somewhere along the way, as I was getting interested in that uh 
all those technologies, I realized that my service was done and I was comfortable. And I, I don't think you're meant to be comfortable in life. So I decided to leave and, and start a company with the goal of doing something in nanotechnology that made nanotechnology practical. There was a lot of hype in that space, just like there's a lot of hype in batteries now. But the 5% was real. I really thought it could change the world. And I was really driven to have an impact on society, first with the nation and the whole world. So uh, we formed uh, Zerion and started looking kind of in a backwards way. We had the right pieces, but we didn't have the right project. And uh, Zerion really came about when my PhD advisor uh, at University of Illinois, Paul Braun, found this battery technology. Uh, and he called me up. I'd helped him with some fundraising for a previous startup that he was involved in. And he said, John, I want you to take a look at this and uh, uh, come help me commercialize this. And so I looked at it and I told my other partners, I said, this is this is what we've been looking for. This really has the potential to change the world. And it's a common manufacturing technique uh, of electroplating, which has been around for 150 years, just used in a way that was really practical. And I thought could really change what we were doing in the battery space. And it's been much more than that uh, than I ever expected. Well, let me ask you, when you talk about electroplating, are you talking about the same process or basically the same process? Is, isn't that what they do to the jewelry that everybody's familiar with? Yeah. Jewelry, back in the day, chrome bumpers before chrome became uh, realized what the toxic material it was. And so commonly it's done in water to, to deposit metals. Uh, what's different is... Uh, we used a different solvent. Uh, water and lithium don't get along too well. So when you're looking at batteries, uh, we needed something other than water. So we decided to use molten salts. We modeled that after aluminum refinement, which is a molten salt electroplating process. Uh, and we just said, hey, we're trying to get around water. When you melt those, they're, they're very similar consistency to water. So why don't we try that so that we can actually make lithiated materials and so that was the kind of the original thought was hey how do we work around water so uh very common technique but yeah it's the same technique same technique all these years later now you're putting it to a completely different use and uh and better society for doing it so thanks john that's great <laughs> thanks. yeah yeah so why, why don't we go ben about uh go ahead and tell the listeners about kind of the business model uh so to speak and and the end game, what are you guys driving to? Where where are you hoping your technology takes takes us in this green space and in universe we're in? So, so over time, we realized that this electrotiting process had a variety of, of improvements in battery manufacturing and battery architecture. Uh, and like I said, these were what we discovered as we continued the development process. So we have better battery performance across most of the areas that people care about in batteries. And, you know, if you look out, there's a lot of battery companies out there. Each battery company has probably one aspect that they're better at than other people. And that's what they've based their development on. And ours is really more that we're kind of at or close to the top of each of those performance categories all at the same time. And so we've gotten a lot of interest across a bunch of different industries because of that battery performance. And then as we finished R&D and really started to look at scale up and raw materials, it's when we realized that there were a lot of benefits 
in the raw material supply chain. So some some of the upstream aspects. And it's because of the fact that just like I said, we we modeled it after aluminum refinement, which meant we knew that in addition to being a synthesis and deposition technique that we could use impure materials. Um, and so we had started out using, you know, batteries uh, in general, most of these are ceramic materials. Most people don't realize that it's a ceramic. And so if you think about it in terms of modeling clay that you use to make some kind of artistic pottery, you know, as they're, as they're doing the modeling clay, if there's a chunk of dirt in it, well, then it, it, when they fire it, it winds up in the fin final piece of pottery. And that's what makes it artistic. But in a battery, if there's any impurities in there, it also makes it into the final battery. So all of the materials that they use in batteries have to be highly refined. And we knew that we could at least go somewhat down that refinement space. And that's where a lot of the energy is used in the batteries. And that's also where China has really focused is in refining those battery metals and battery minerals. And so as we started exploring this, we realized we can go quite far down the impurity chain to the point that we can use some of the just the concentrated ores directly into our process. So in a single step, uh, actually make a finished battery electrode. And uh, over the course of doing that, we're skipping three highly energy intensive steps. Uh, skipping energy means it's lower cost. Skipping energy means it's a lower carbon footprint. And it's uh, also lowering uh, the complexity and sim uh, simplifying the logistics chain as well. So those things have become just as important as the battery performance and our resulting material as well. So we found ourselves, I think, very much a, kind of in a unique position to impact the supply chain holistically in the United States and then following on to the rest of the world, as well as being able to make a battery. So we're really trying to fill in the cogs domestically. The United States and North America is behind Asia and Europe uh, because we just hadn't focused on it. And you can't grow parts of the battery industry because you know if you have a battery materials guy, he doesn't have anything to sell it to if there's not a battery company. A battery company can't do it without the battery materials. Battery materials can't, can't do it without importing the raw materials. So you have to go all of those components at the same time. And we really see what we're doing as the ability to help kind of fill in those cracks. And, you know, like I said, we, we started the company to make a difference. And we're trying to do what we can do in our little corner of the world uh, to make that happen. Well, I want to go back uh, a minute or two on something you had said for the listeners. Uh, you talked about better battery performance. Are you talking about the performance of the finished product? Like when we had the uh, storm here in Texas, Erie, and we had that big freeze come in, the yeah. batteries came on. They were supposed to produce for four hours. Memory serves me right. Granted, it was two years ago, but uh, they only said they got about 2.6 hours out of those four-hour batteries during the freeze. Yeah. Are you talking about bettering that performance and that example? Well, that that's one of the hardest pieces of the batteries is cold weather performance because, you know, these these are typically batteries that have liquid electrolytes in it. You know, when you say electrolyte, I think people think of Gatorade, which is salt water, right? Uh, in this case, this, the salt, instead of being a, a sodium salt, it's a lithium salt. And instead of being water, it's something that's much more close to an alcohol. Um, and so as those things start to freeze, 
lithium is a, is a is an element you know it has to move back and forth it's not just an electron and so when stuff freezes it can't move across so that's a very difficult problem to solve so you have to have something that moves through a solid which is what solid state batteries are so we have our uh positive electrode or cathode is what we think is the only true solid state cathode that can be used by us in solid state batteries or by other companies if they buy that component from us. So we think that we have a critical part of solving that problem. Although to date, we don't have a working solid state battery. I think that's about two generations in the future for the whole industry in terms of uh, a practical implementation that will be widely available. So we the fact that we can make that thing solid means there's no pores in it, which means we're really just doing more efficient packing of the battery storage material. And so we can make that fully dense, which means it's 100% active material in the aluminum foil and nothing else. So for a given material, we have the highest energy density you can get because it's 100% dense. And that's what other people are also approaching. So we're at the top of that level uh, with others. And then at the same time, we've been able to take the this active material, we actually run the electricity through it. So since we're growing it right on the aluminum foil, we don't have powder, which means we don't have the polymer binders, which are kind of similar to paint. We don't have the carbon black or other conductive additives, which is what makes it, that carries the, the, the electricity in those materials. So it's all going through our material. That actually turns out the way we use it to be very conductive. And so we also have at those very high energy densities, we have better power than what you get out of a powder-based uh, equivalent. So we have better energy. We have better power at that energy. We have some remarkable safety uh, aspects that uh, have been just kind of fortuitous. Um, and then, of course, because we're taking all of the energy, uh, greatly reducing the energy that it takes to make these and simplify, we're skipping two full uh, plants in the battery supply chain. We're skipping the metals refinement plant and we're skipping the battery powder plant. And so when you're skipping all that capex and all the labor and all the energy that runs those plants, then that can also be quite cheaper. So, you know, you put all those together and, and that's why we think uh, it can really have a, a pretty dramatic difference in terms of battery performance and cost, which in the end, probably that and low carbon footprint trump everything else that we're doing you just took my next question about the carbon footprint i, th I was going to ask you when you become more efficient and then you have less cost yeah how much is that affecting also the carbon footprint and your last two words were affecting the carbon footprint so why don't yeah. we talk about what that reduction of what you're doing and how the how you're reducing that footprint because that was my next question yeah, so, uh, you know, there's a couple of sources for lithium, which I'm going to focus on, but there's also cobalt and nickel that we can also do similar things on. Uh, there's there's two major sources, hard rock, which is a granite bearing, uh, a lithium uh, that's called spodumene, that specific mineral. And so that's in Western Australia and Quebec and some in North Carolina. And of course, the brines like the Salton Sea and in Nevada, the new sources in Arkansas. Um a lot of the what we started with was in the when in those hard rocks. And so one of the first things they have to do to that rock after they crush it and take out any residual mica or iron is they have to bake it to to put it into a phase that they can actually attack it with acid and extract the lithium out of it. 
that's a thousand degrees C for 24 hours. So very energy intensive process. That's the first one. The second one is when they make the powder. Remember I said these are ceramics, so they have to fire them. That's also about a thousand C for 24 hours. And then when they're actually making the electrodes themselves, they have it in an organic solvent, which is actually a pretty heavy toxic solvent which because of that, they have to recapture it and then they have to redistill it, which is also extremely energy intense. So we're skipping all three of those steps and we didn't know how to quantify that. So uh, we did an initial analysis with a company in London called Minviro, which said based on, you know, to, to quantify how much you reduce it, you have to know what the baseline is. So basically in uh, a country that has a lot of coal, it'd be about a 40% reduction just by using low purity lithium. Uh, and then in a place that uses something like natural gas, it's more cleaner, it'd be around 20. But that's also ignoring the fact that we can use low purity nickel and low purity cobalt. In the nickel side, you know, you have class one and class two nickel. The difference is the amount of iron in them. And the one that's mostly common is one that has iron in it, and it's not really easy to make a battery out of, so it really limits the amount of nickel. We can use both. Um, and then in cobalt, we've actually shown that we can go down to like the grade that's about 35%, which is what they import. And so being able to use that as is means 95% of the world's cobalt production for refinement is in China. And we can skip that step. So we we have somewhere around a 50% reduction in the end-to-end -end, uh, carbon footprint reduction. And then we do that uh, in a domestic capacity. Well, when you talk about uh, China that you've referred to several different times, do we have enough parts and pieces in the United States now to have 100% U.S. made battery? Not at all. Uh, and probably never will. Uh, that's uh, the first question is about natural abundance. And, you know, we have good abundance, but we don't have near the abundance they have in Australia, in South America and Scandinavia. Actually, China uh, is ahead of the game in the refinement, but they don't have a lot of the, the natural materials. But we have a lot. Uh, but while we don't have the natural abundance, we're the largest users of batteries in the world. And so that's where recycling really has to become prevalent because once we have it in that form, we can reuse it. So over time, that problem will be closer and closer to solve because then we'll have everything in country. Uh, we also, it turns out that our battery technology, this molten salt electroplating actually works really well for recycling as well. So we can do that. Other people are also developing some compelling technologies. And as we do that and we start to get into that circular supply chain, just like they have with lead acid batteries now, um, that problem will solve itself. But the, once again, it's bringing all that up at the same time where every company has the pieces they need to be sustainable and profitable so that we can kind of keep that moving forward in a practical way. So if somebody's putting in a battery uh, storage somewhere in the United States, uh, are they able to get some IRA money with putting that in, even though it's not a high percentage made, made in the United States? Yeah, so I, the numbers that they're looking at are 40%. Uh, I think today Tesla talked about that they're not sure they can get to 40% in the short term for like 2024. The big money that has been put in uh, recently comes from the bipartisan uh, infrastructure uh, bill. And uh, that BIL money, the first round, you know, uh, it's about EVs. Uh, the American EV companies have already made their bets in terms of who's going to assemble their batteries. 
you know, with uh, uh, LG and SK, with uh, GM and Ford and, and Honda and some of the others. And so they really focused on component suppliers and material suppliers rather than manufacturers. I think in the second round, they said that they're actually going to have some of the supply aspects in there. But uh, there have been some real opportunities um, in that space uh, for people. Um, I think the first round was evaluated more for merit rather than uh, for either geopolitical concerns or practicality or uh, financeability uh, in terms of some of those things. So, you know, and then Congress got pretty upset about that. And I'm hoping that in the second round, it'll be much more focused uh, to actually directly support the American industry rather than just, you know, a technology that may be better, but may not be as scalable. Um, but, you know, I, I think uh, this development's kind of a contact sport and we got to keep trying until we get it right. Well, John, uh, thank you so much for joining us today. As we're starting 2024, What's, what big plans do you and your company have as far as what your aspirations are building through 2024? Yeah, so we we just started installing our first uh, low-rate production facility. And then in 24, we're also going to start our full production facility uh, in Dayton. We've got a second plant uh, planned in Florida. So we're really focused on actually building our economies of scale and matching markets. We're going into... Uh, both uh, uh, wearables for the electronic space and military first, and then expanding into uh, drones like eVTOLs for air taxis, and then moving over time into the EV space. We already have a lot of those interactions going on. And then, you know, in the longer term, five to seven years from now, uh, we'll be in the, in the grid scale. So we're really trying to match our manufacturing capabilities and expertise at the time that we have to the market size so that we can actually put this uh, advantage to an appropriate market and have the, the largest impact we can. Well, John, thank you so much for joining me today on The Green Insider. It's been fascinating hearing about your entire project you've, uh, you've got going on over at Exeron and what the work you're doing reducing the carbon footprint 50%, making something cheaper. It's going to be more efficient. That's the name of the game, man, regardless of what we're trying to do with regards to sustainability and everything. Those three things are the name of the game, and you guys are hitting it right out of the park on that. And congratulations to you, and, and thanks again for joining me on the show. Thank you. We enjoyed being here, getting a chance to talk about it. Yes, sir. Thank you for listening to The Green Insider, Powered Bay Renewable. That was Mr. John Busby, CEO of Zerion, joining us today talking about the lithium-ion batteries and the technology that they are using to help better tomorrow. And that's what we're all about. Thank you again for joining us. Everybody have a great day. Thanks again to John Busby for being a part of the Green Insider Podcast. And thank you all for listening. I'm your host, Ron Culver, reminding you that if you're not yet a subscriber to the Green Insider Podcast, don't hesitate and become one today from wherever you receive your podcasts. And please leave us a five-star rating. This podcast was sponsored by Position Green. For an introduction to our sponsor or find out how you too could be a sponsor, refer to our show notes to contact eRenewable and the Green Insider Podcast.